Well, good afternoon, everyone, and good morning, depending on your different uh, time zones. Uh, we're back on as part of the Course 5 Compass uh, podcasts that we do as and when we feel it's important to share some new discussions and uh, discoveries. Um, and speaking of discoveries, this is part of the Course 5 Discovery Suite of podcasts. And I'm joined today by Sushant Ajmani, who is our Global Product Director. Uh, hi, Sushant. Joseph, nice to meet you. Um, and myself, um, I manage the EMEA region for Course 5. I've been here for years and working with Sushant on various opportunities and client engagements. Um, so today, the main thrust of the discussion we hope to have is something quite topical. I'm sure a lot of you are beginning to notice, but there's a big emphasis by CPG and FMCG organizations who are trying to capitalize on some of the changes in the marketplace, which are essentially translating into e-commerce investments, e-commerce, e-commerce, decision-making, and a lot of questions. So um, it's an area that we are fairly comfortable in because we have a lot of clients in that space. And it's an area that we believe is going to get uh, a lot of attention um, as the markets are changing customer behaviors and customer behaviors are changing markets. So that's what we're observing. Um, so maybe a good starting point, Sushant, would be to um, talk about some of the changes we're seeing by region. Um, I'll kick off with Europe and maybe you can kick off with the US. Um, so I'm sure our listeners have been part of a lot of transitions and uh, pivoting in their respective companies and their respective sectors. Um, in Europe, we've seen a lot of grocery stores shifting to online, um, efforts in providing a lot of delivery services and options for their customers. We've seen schools fundamentally change to 100% online. We've seen doctors begin doing delivery in telemedicine. Um, and we've seen manufacturers go to factories that are lights out factories, right? So they're supporting supply chain and deliverables. Um, but it's a very different way of setting up factories from what they had. What we're seeing is dramatic undertakings by many sectors. A lot of it is a common framework of e-com, but the under, underlying message is that nobody's scared to start changing things. Nobody's scared to do the transitions because the market is forcing their hand and we're seeing it across all the sectors. Um, so I will talk a bit about some of the CPG and FMCG case studies and examples that we have but maybe you can give us a quick update on some of the US major threads that you've seen in the last uh, few months. Sure, absolutely, Joseph. So Joseph, yes, uh, a very similar trend can be seen uh, for North America also. And uh, what I've been seeing and noticing lately is that, especially since the co this whole COVID outbreak has happened, there's definitely uh, an acceleration in the e-commerce penetration has happened in the North America region. I think we are roughly uh, fluctuating at around 22% right now, which is a massive growth which has happened in the last three to four months. But if you look at the traditional retail, okay, the total retail sales uh, worldwide, we are right now somewhere around $26 trillion, okay? And uh, last year, it was roughly around $25 trillion. And as per the e-marketeer, it is expected to go by 2023 to around $29.7 trillion. So as you can see here, in terms of the total retail sales, there is not a much significant year-over-year year year change. It's roughly around 4.5%. But 
But if you talk about the e-commerce penetration, it is going leaps and bounds. And that's a big opportunity for both the CPG and the FMCG players who have been very traditionally relying on the old retail partners as well as the, the brick and mortar stores as a channel to sell their products. But in the last year or so, there's a massive shift has happened. And you talked about grocery. Yes, that particular category has seen a significant jump. And according, according to the research that I've read recently from even uh, the MasterCard, uh, what they mentioned that Amazon is acting as a catalyst for the CPG disruption right now. The, the kind of sales that Amazon has experienced in the last six months in the grocery category, no other marketplace or even no other CPG FMCG player has experienced so far. So that's a big, big opportunity for the CPG FMCG players to invest in this particular area. And even if I share with you some of the, the trends in other parts of the world, so if I talk about the top three regions, which did really, really well in terms of the e-commerce growth last year in 2019, you'll be surprised to know that the number one was the Asia Pacific. Number two is the Latin America. And the third is Middle East and Africa. Okay. So no North America in the top three. Yeah, and yeah. if I look at the top contributing countries in the e-commerce growth in the last financial year, you would find the number one is your Mexico, number two mm -hmm. is India, and the number three is Philippines, and your China is coming at number four. So mm -hmm. as you can see here, so there's a lot of trend shift has happened. A lot of other economies are also growing up. Some of the developing economies, they are making massive investment in the e-commerce as a channel. So I think the overall prospects looks really, really nice for this industry. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um... Well, actually surprising, forget about interesting, surprising countries making that list. But when you think about it, as you explained it, it's, it's less surprising, but you know, these are still very big numbers. Um, across the EMEA region here, um, sort of similar ideas in the tech industry, it has been 50-50 between retail and e-com. That hasn't changed much other than there's been a lot more e-com while the retail stores are readapting themselves to the changes. And so we think that will swing back currently at 80-20, it'll probably swing back to 60-40 soon enough. But in FMCG, it, it's a straight line. It's a, it's, a, it's a purposeful, you know, upwards and onwards, as they say. So traditionally, there have been about 3% penetration out of the total percentage of a given FMCG company. And now they're trying to push to 10%, so 10% of revenues uh, from e-com. And all we're hearing is put on the pedal, don't take it off. Uh, for the simple reason that these transformations are felt to be longer term and permanent changes um, for, for many reasons, and we'll talk about that. Um, so the other thing I maybe want to talk about is some of the underlying more tactical aspects of this. So if you're a large FMCG organization and you're going through that transition, what are the key areas you need to think about? And you talked about Amazon being a major catalyst. That, that's that's a, an obvious next step for some of these companies. And they could be in beer manufacturing, they could be in confectionery, they could be in household goods, laundry, you know, all the classic FMCG companies. Um, and what they have found is that to go direct to consumer, they would need to create a lot of um, excellence in very short periods of time. Whereas somebody like Amazon or in, in Europe, people like Tesco.com or Costco have done some of that groundwork for them. 
So things like customer experience, um, search, um, engagement, uh, customer journey analysis, it's already been done. So slipstreaming into somebody else's platform, which are typically referred to as marketplaces, makes, makes sense. But again, you're not going to get all the love and all the data and all the insights if you're handing over some of the keys to a marketplace. And so they still need to think about DTC either in the back of their head or as an alternative aspect, right? And then that's when you get into these metrics. So we know that they've got to invest in, in increasing and, and bettering fulfillment services. And this is where the conversations, when they come to us and start talking and they say, you know, what are the key areas that we need to be focused on? And we will throw out questions like, you know, my buy online, pick up in store program, how is that impacting your, sorry, your um, order value, right? Should I, should you, should be showcasing your entire store assortment um, to the customers or should you withhold some of that volume product? Um, do you need to increase your staffing um, for in-store staffing, for picking and packing or into ship orders? So these are areas that they have not been traditionally involved with it's not their sort of you know, bread and butter, but they're gonna to have to ramp up at least the understanding and then decide how much they want to invest in that. And we have seen experiences where in parts of Europe, they've gone in and they've invested in DTC and they're beginning to solve for some of that. And in others, they're prepared to partner with, with, with you know, Amazon and other providers um, to continue to fulfill uh, the increase of online um, customer demand. Um, so we're getting into the detail here of metrics and, and supporting transitions. Um, are you seeing similar things on your side of these FMCG companies making those tough decisions? Yeah, sure. I think, uh, Joseph, I'm really glad you called out some of these things because a very similar trend is there in North America also. But there are some other items that I want to call that out here, which are, one is called your subscription e-commerce. Okay. And both CPG FMCG companies are embracing that idea of that, how we can be more and more closer to the end consumers and have a more long lasting relationships. And they're also talking about nowadays about customer loyalty, the lifetime value, and some of the top five CPG subscription box services. If I talk about like Dollar Shave Club or Ipsy or Blue Apron or Backbox or maybe HelloFresh, these are the five companies who have really done really, really well in setting up the whole subscription business within the CPG space. And as for the research, uh, what, it's, uh, what the e-marketeer has also mentioned that in 2020, the total market size for the subscription e-commerce market is estimated to be 12 to $15 billion. Okay. Wow. And the subscription models are actually becoming more notorious disruptors of the direct-to-consumer brands. And it's also disrupting the overall CPG industry. The other thing that I have also experienced in North America is that, especially among the millennials and Gen Z, they are, they are very concerned about sustainability, authenticity, and the brand values. They really care about the planet and the people on it. And in fact, if I share with you something very interesting that, if you look at the last uh, uh, decade, especially from 2013 to 2018, that five-year period, more than 50% of the CPG growth actually came from sustainable products alone. Okay? Again, interesting. And, Very interesting. Yes. And as per the CPG industry sales and the marketing leader at Costa, what they mentioned that 
more than 73% of the consumers are willing to change their purchasing habits to improve the environment. So we are seeing that more and more consumers are becoming environmental friendly. They want to protect the environment and they're putting a lot of pressure on these CPG and FMGG players that don't just sell us products, sell us things which are environmental friendly, which yeah. our kids can also experience a better future, a better economy in the longer run. Yeah. The third piece that I've also experienced is personalization, which is not a new topic, which are the, the traditional pure play uh, e-commerce players, and even the traditional retailers have been embracing the idea of personalization. Now the CPG industries are also embracing this whole idea of personalization that how can they learn more and more about their consumer habits, their preferences, their body type, their skin conditions, their hair type, so that they can develop very customized products for different cohorts. So as you can see here, CPG and FMCG players are gradually trying to follow the similar footprints which the pure play e-commerce players have been embracing or have been mastered in the last decade or so. Yeah. So what's your yeah. take, Joseph? Yeah. yeah. No, I feel the same. I mean, logically speaking, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, the retailers have been investing and working on e-com for a long time, and they were treating the CPG companies as suppliers into that, you know, into that value chain, into that workflow. And now we're seeing some of that change and begin to compete against each other, right? Um, the other thing that I am hearing a lot of because of that transition is that companies are feeling a bit of pain in right-sizing the cost base and capital of their operations. So again, because their model was about complex supply chain constantly being um, uh, made simpler, made more streamlined, made more made to order, um, but you know, it was all about the supply chain. It was all about the manufacturing and the supply chain. And then, as you said, in the last year or so, there's been this big push about environmentally friendly. But underneath all that, you still have numbers. You still have a commercial concern. You still have the pressures of transitioning their fixed costs to variable costs and doing it aggressively because COVID is accelerating everything, right? So my next um, question to you is, and, and I suspect this is where analytics comes in, and, and you know, more modern modeling with, with important data. On the one side, we've got an uneven recovery. Nobody can really predict what's gonna happen in the next six months, nine months because of COVID and the dynamics that is changing. And then on the other side, we've got these CPG, FMCG organizations that are trying to transition their, their fixed costs. They're trying to adapt to potentially investing in new areas such as direct to consumer. And, and they're trying to map onto this uneven recovery, um, how, how are they, how are you um, advising them to, to navigate those charters and then how are they doing it? So, so Joseph, I'll add some more uh, perspective to uh, the, the problem that you called out in terms of the cost and uh, a lot of uh, pressure is already there on the overall supply chain because being the head of supply chain operations, there's always a pressure around how to keep the cost under control. And if you look at the last, I would say six to seven years, okay? If you look at the top 30 CPG companies, their margin expansion has contributed actually twice as much value as growth, which is 50% versus 26%. So, and in the recent year, the leading branch, if you see under the CPG category, 
they've generated only 25% of the growth despite being 50% of the sales. So just imagine, so some of your leading brands, the growth is not happening with the same scale of the speed as the sales are happening. So there's a definitely a lot of pressure on the CPG companies from the investors and what the investors are expecting that, that they need to really deliver over 1.5 to 2% higher organic growth in the, in the coming decade to get the attention of the investors. And where are you going to get that growth? Because the, 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 the traditional retail sales are going down. It's kind of flat right now. So the only way the growth is going to come is from the e-commerce. So if the CPG companies, if they are looking for more than 2% or 3% organic growth in the coming years, they really, really need to invest heavily in the e-commerce. And what we have seen here uh, in North America also, that some of the large brands that we engage with, Joseph, like PepsiCo or even Lenovo, yeah. Uh, yeah. even if I talk about Mars or Unilever or Colgate Palmolive, they all have set up their a separate dedicated channel for e-commerce, okay? They're trying mm. to create a segmented e-commerce supply chain, a separate dedicated distribution centers, separate warehouses, so that they can match up with the delivery timelines that Amazon or Walmart is claiming to the consumers, like next day delivery. Some of the cities in United in Amazon is making like a same day delivery. Now, that is the kind of order lead time benchmarks Amazon and Walmart has set up in the last few years. And it is putting a lot of pressure on the CPG FMCG player that if they have to play in this particular game, they really need to leverage and capitalize the third party logistics network. They need to really capitalize the last mile delivery and make sure how can they control this whole order lead time and make it competitive. So it's gonna be a very interesting game in the next two to three years that how the CPG and the FMCG players capitalize on their investments on the 3PL network and try mm -hmm. to deliver a competitive order lead time and also improve the satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So in that mix, um, they can obviously partner with external parties that they can recruit more people who've got that experience from another sector. I've heard examples where some of them have taken the nettle, you know, in their own hands and set up war rooms so they can address certain aspects of the workflow, the value, you know, a game that they're trying to build. Um, for example, you could have a, an agile war room just to address conversion rates, right? Um, so, as I said, you can, you can partner with external people, you can start building the SWAT teams, or you can invest in more uh, and or you can invest in more technology and analytics. Do you think that there's a common theme for some of the leading CPG players or are you seeing a complete mosaic of approaches as they're tackling that? That's a, that's a very interesting question, Joseph. So, so what we have been seeing, Joseph, is there are six uh, main areas where we are having a regular conversation with the large CPG and FMCG brands. Number one is they're asking us about how can we have a better end-to-end -end visibility into our supply chain so that we, have, we know how our sub partners are performing, how the individual suppliers are performing, how the contract manufacturing is happening. Can we have better visibility onto our transportation carriers about our 3PL partners? So the, the headquarters want end-to-end -end visibility because this entire supply chain ecosystem is so much dependent on the external partners 
if you don't have those control towers, if you don't have those end-to-end -end visibility, it's impossible to improve the cost or bring efficiencies. So that's yeah. very common, the type or the topic of conversation with these players. Other thing is this whole concept of collaborative information sharing that, okay, so now we have built up this whole network, how the information is going to traverse in real time. Because we are seeing more and more clients are asking us that, can we have more near real time operational insights? How can we empower our mid-management people, the people who are managers, senior managers, analysts, and empower them with something more operational insights, which are more forward-looking, something which talks about causality, which gives them early warning signals, more better exceptional handling, so that they can take faster decision-making. Because the people who are in the top management, they are looking more about the forward-looking approach, the next six days, next 14 days, next 21 days. But mm -hmm. you know that in the real world, in the supply chain ecosystem, every day is a challenge. Every day is a challenge. And if every day is a challenge, you cannot just focus on the prediction. You need more near real-time view so that the people who are on the floor, who are at the bottom of the funnel, who are in the front line, they can take faster corrective actions. And the other thing that, Joseph, we have been hearing from our clients, which they are pushing us very hard, is that how can we have more and more autonomous decision-making and control? Okay? How can we have more cognitive aspect within the analytics ecosystem, which is something which they call it as self-correcting supply chain, okay? With more and more ML and AI inbuilt into that. So yeah. as a part of our uh, uh, course five discovery solution, we're trying to cater some of these problems around supply chain visibility, bringing more and more uh, early warning signals for our operational teams, bringing more predictive and prescriptive decision-making tools for the senior and top management so that we can empower them with more and more actionable insights to take faster decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, if I can be permitted to put on my commercial hat on, um, what you just described, um, I would summarize in this way, is that a lot of conversations that me and my team have on the front line, um, you know, they, the client, uh, present in a way that they say please help me build smoother data pipes and help me build better magnifying glasses across my workflow and quickly and then the last bit is the quickly right so you talk about the course five discovery platform that is addressing some of that analysis some of that agility some of that combination of predictability and uh, next next decision making point you know on on a weekly or daily basis but on top of the outcome of what they want the way to get there they want to move quickly so before we sort of come to the end of the podcast and we do a bit of a summary um, i'd like to touch upon what do these things look like so the best way to describe it from my end is these 60 90 day sprints that we do with our clients um, and it sort of fits into the into the mantra of you know how to navigate covid so the, the, the end users and the super users are looking for that agility at the end of their fingertips. They want that connectivity to the backend data. They want these agile models to give them those recommendations about uh, fulfillment rates or about decision uh, workflows within the complex supply chain. But at the same time, the partner they're dealing with, which is us, they want us to move in short sprints. And in the old days, you know, as you just mentioned, before 
we had AI and ML and NLP and all these wonderful things that we have a bit more of, it wasn't really possible. All these supply chain projects always were big and complex and six, nine months, 18 months. Um, so do you want to touch upon that? What, what the world looks like today as a consequence of all these dynamics in these projects? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So definitely. So I think you, you use the term agile, which is very important because if I talk about some of the top trend trends of the CPG industry in the coming 2020, 2021, one of the very important trend is that CPG brands are becoming more and more agile and leaner. And, and that agility and leaner uh, aspect is not just coming into the day-to-day -day workflow, but it is also they are expecting the IT, the BI, the analytics team to also be agile, start delivering the results in smaller sprints of three to four weeks. Okay. But you know that since you're dealing with whole machine learning and AI, you cannot build your models and deploy it in a span of three to four weeks. So what does that mean is that if you have to be agile in this particular ecosystem, you need to deliver your clients some pre-packaged models. Okay. These models, which are already pre-trained with uh, the, the CPG and FMCG related data. So they, the models understand what the fulfillment rate means. The models understand what is the order lead time means. The model understands what the service level means. So your models really need to bring the ingrained knowledge along with that if you want to deliver onto faster sprints. Because if you keep on building newer models and customize it for every client, you cannot run the operations in an agile manner. And that is what we are trying to do within a discovery that we have built up what we call it as a, a knowledge graph, which is the brain behind the system, which is nothing but it's an ontology. It's like a book of knowledge targeted to the CPG and FMCG industry. And we are leveraging that knowledge graph to empower our model factory. And our model factory has plenty of models around demand sensing, demand forecasting, pricing recommendation, your network management, your order lead time. We also have a lot of simulations in place. For example, if you want to know, I want to see if I increase my service level to 95%, how much safety stock I need to invest in, how much in inventory working capital I need to invest in inventory. Okay. If I want to cut down my supply chain cost by 20% or maybe 15%, what are the different levers I need to pull? So clients want packaged solutions, which they can tailor it as per to their needs. And that's where we are moving on. So the way we start our journey with any client, Joseph, is we start with uh, what we call it as a minimum viable deployment for 90 days. Okay. And during that 90 days, it's not just about completely technology play. It's also understanding the, the, the semantics behind their data, understanding and empathizing with their individual department needs. And what we have realized, Joseph, in the last one year is that most of the CPG, FMCG companies, they have invested heavily in most of the sophisticated supply chain analytics platform. They have all the best of the best ERP platforms, warehouse management system, transportation system. They have the top-notch consulting firms working with them. They have everything in place. But still, there is a gap. And you know what the gap is? The gap is around the adoption. The gap is around the data literacy. The gap is around operational insights. So that's, these are the three areas where we are working on. 
And whenever we go and talk to any CPG FMCG player, the first thing they talk to us that, hey guys, we have invested in this massive BI infrastructure. We have set up these hundreds of dashboards targeted to the head of supply chain operations, targeted to the warehouse manager, targeted to the reverse logistics guy. But unfortunately, the adoption sucks. People are not finding it actionable. People are not finding it relevant. They're not using it that extensively. Can you help us in that? And that is a good door opener for Course 5 Discovery as a solution. So we go there, we deal with their existing dashboards, existing scorecards, and try to augment their existing story. Because that easy win opens the door for us to scale up to other functions and other areas of the business. Well, you couldn't have sort of come closer to my next point as, as I was thinking about it. But what's, um, what's highly amusing and highly attractive here um, is because of COVID, right? Um, you talked about some of the countries in the top four, top five, which if you stood back and you go, why is the Philippines in that group? You think, well, they've taken the opportunity to leapfrog, right? They're leapfrogging certain technologies, certain waves of change, and they're moving into a new space quickly, right? Um, and COVID allows some of these clients, and some of them are our clients today, right? Um, some of them, as I mentioned, are in food manufacturing, some of them are in pet care manufacturing, some of them in household goods and laundry, some of them are in drinks. Um, and that's one of the conversations they love to have. And it's a two-pronged conversation. One is leapfrogging markets and the competition in the ability to move in a more agile way, impacting my supply chain, impacting my relationship with my retailers because the analytics you bring. But equally interesting is solving an old problem. And the old problem is adoption. So how can we leapfrog the adoption problem into the new time? Um, and so you've got leapfrogging vis-a-vis -vis the market and the commercial. And then you've also got leapfrogging of the internal challenge of adopting insights that are produced, dashboards that are disseminated, reports that are shared, PowerPoints that are brought into big executive meetings. How can we increase that adoption so that people are more comfortable with those insights and are more comfortable in taking action because we are providing them with that richer context? So I'd like to, to, to finish there. I'll give you the last word, but um, I think, for me, specifically in the sector, leapfrogging both the internal challenges and the external ones are, are a big one in terms of you know, some of the conversations I'm having. What are your thoughts, final thoughts, Sushant? Yeah, sure. So see, adoption is something uh, which is definitely a bigger problem for almost every company in, across any industry you pick it up. And CPG, FMCG players experience this problem bigger than any other industry because of the massive size of their organization, okay? The kind of different channels that they penetrate in, the kind of a workforce that they have, the mix of people. Some of you are your millennials and Gen, Z, Gen Y, sorry, Gen Zs. And then you also have a, a pretty long tail of individuals who are your baby boomers, okay? The people who have spent like 35, 40 years working in these home companies. Now, accepting, expecting from those people to adopt the new BI platform, so these new jazzy looking dashboards and scorecards is too much, okay? And I think one thing that all the organizations have to remember that every medium of consumption, whether you take a dashboard or a scorecard or a mobile application or a portal has a certain purpose, okay? And 
dashboards have always been a fantastic medium to talk about the facts. They talk about the highs and lows, what happened in the past, but that does not make it actionable. In order to make your BI ecosystem actionable, the companies really need to invest in causality, invest in predictive insights, invest in anomalies, invest in prescriptive recommendations. And you cannot have everything ingrained in your dashboards and scorecards because then your dashboards and scorecard become so bloated, they will, it defeats its purpose. So what we have experienced, Joseph, with some of our existing clients where we have implemented discoveries that we create something called, we call it as a bundles, okay? Just like mm -hmm. we have a product bundles, we have insights bundles. And in the insights bundles, we bundle your dashboards and scorecards with your weekly and fortnightly newsletters, okay? Where mm -hmm. we use this newsletter as a medium to communicate those insights which you don't find in your dashboards. Now, these insights are more forward-looking. These insights are talking about the causality so that you can com combine your dashboard storyline with these newsletters and have a more bigger picture, okay? We also have built mobile applications for the people who are always on the move, okay? Your head of supply chain operations, your reverse logistics guy, your warehousing guy, your 3PL guys, okay? Who are always moving, shorter attention time span. They don't have a, uh, uh, a focus to log into your Power BI or Tableau or a click dashboard and try to derive the insights. What they yeah. want is curated insights, simple English, okay? Yeah. So what we have done is we have built mobile applications for them. So, so the companies needs to invest in alternative mediums of consumption and bring simplicity, bring the power of curated insights if they really, really have to solve this adoption as a problem. Again, we have a limited time. We can have a separate session on this adoption as a topic, but mm -hmm. I would just like to park my, top, uh, uh, my point here that adoption is the fundamental challenge that almost every company is facing. And it's also a good door opener for a, a course five discovery as a solution. And we have done it for many other clients and we feel this is one area where companies oftentimes ignore it and the, they pay a bigger price in the longer run. Yeah. And you're right there. My God, we've got examples of that session. Um, yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much as always hugely um, insightful, both from what the market is doing, what the market is telling us, what the data is telling us. At the end of the day, we're an analytics uh, and insights company. Um, I see you've turned on your videos. So I will do the same. Um, but um, there's always so much to learn. Um, and in this particular sector, it's, um, it's a sector that, that's experiencing a lot of change. And we would love to, to help and assist where we can. So uh, we're going to wrap it up here, Sushant. Uh, we look forward for some of you to join us at the next podcast. Um, we have promised in the past to do these as a series, so we continue to do that. And uh, if there are any areas or key sectors that you'd like to learn more of, please send in your notes and in your messages to all our um, uh, recipient emails that we have on our website or to our own, or you can find us on LinkedIn. But uh, thanks again for your time. Good luck with your projects. And hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, take care, Joseph. Bye. Take care, friends. Bye.